Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. We want to take a moment and welcome everybody that's here in-house, and we want to welcome everybody online this morning joining us. We also want to release all the youth. If you are in junior high or high school, you're free to go with Alex. Right now, you can make your way out. Amen. And they have a service for you. Praise God. Isn't God good this morning? Hallelujah. Isn't it good to be in the house of God? Amen. Excited about what God is going to do today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me over to the book of Mark. The book of Mark chapter 10. And we will get to that in a little while. And when I mean a little while... I mean, a little while. This is, you know, it's funny because sermons, you know, you, over the years you learn how to write a sermon and you, you get a style, and there's all kinds of styles. I think each guy has his own style. And the way I learned to write sermons over the years was that, uh, uh, you know, it was an introduction, point one, point two, point three, closing. And, you know, after a while, it's kind of like you get in that mindset, well, it ain't going to be like that today. Amen. So I'm not sure point three may come before point two and, and the introduction may be at the end. I don't know. So we'll just see how it goes. But we'll get to our text here in a little while. It's so if I get preaching and ministering um, and it seems like I haven't read my text, I haven't forgotten. I promise. I promise. So hang on to that. Now, every now and then, <clears throat> I think it's necessary to preach a message that balanced the books, as it were, if you know what I'm saying. In the next four weeks, <clears throat> what I'm going to be doing is ministering uh, messages and a series of messages designed to do just that, to balance the books. It's always, I think it's always good to take a moment in our lives and to verify if we are staying true to the course that God has set before us. You know, businesses do it by taking inventory. You know that every year. It's not just a tax thing, but oftentimes they use this as an opportunity to see what's selling good, what's not selling good, get rid of the dogs and, you know, emphasize the things that are making money. Athletes do it by comparing their accomplishments with the goals that they've set. Am I running faster? Am I lifting more? Am I, you know, is my golf score dropping or is it going up? You know, we, we, we make comparisons. Accountants do it by balancing the checkbook. I, I, it amazes me, I will say this, how many people don't balance their checkbook? It, it blows my mind because I, I balance my checkbook probably two or three times a week. You know, I'm on the bank all the time. I don't trust the bank. I, I don't. Um, I, I have to use them. I don't trust them, but uh, they, they, they're there, so I make sure that what they're saying jives with what I'm saying, and I can tell you that I have found mistakes at the bank. Amen. And so the reality is, is that I balance my checkbook, and because I, I don't know if you've ever had the feeling of going in and having like your debit card denied. You got a load of groceries, you have no money, and they go, sorry, 
And it's like, what happened? And it's like an addition mistake or something that took you out. And it's, it's, it, it's a moment that you go, man, I really wish I'd have taken the time to look at all that. Amen. Pilots do it. They make sure they stay on course by viewing the GPS, don't they? And you know what? If you know anything about flying, you know that they're continually making uh, small adjustments to get them back. Same with if you are uh, in a sailboat. You always have to make adjustments to get yourself back on the, cor- um, uh, back on the uh, course. The point is, in any endeavor in life, it is always a prudent thing to take time to evaluate and reevaluate. Can you say amen? So this morning, I want to begin a new series about a subject that has been on my mind for a very long time. And in my mind, this is a subject that often gets lost in the ebb and flow of Christianity. So here's the thought. So stick with me. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be saved? Now, it seems like a simple enough question, but it is a question, church, that has stirred the pot in Christianity for many years. See, as with any theology, any belief system, there's always extremes in those belief systems. And the problem with those extremes is they tend to pull us away from the truth more into opinion rather than truth. And the subject of what does it mean to be saved has fallen victim to this. Because there's a lot of opinions about what does it mean to be saved. Saved. And it's never healthy to live in the extreme. Can you say amen? Amen. So I ask again, what does it mean to be saved? Now my goal this morning in this series is fourfold. First, I want to help you to see where you are in terms of what it biblically means to be saved. The second goal is I want to encourage you to deepen your walk with Jesus. The third thing I want to do is I want to challenge you to overcome those things that are hindering you. And number four, I want to give you a greater understanding of the salvation that we possess. Now, these messages are going to be much more teaching then they're going to be preaching. You say, well, what does that mean? It means that I'm probably going to stick a little bit closer to my notes than normal. (laughs) You say, why is that? Because there are very specific things that I want to say, and I want to make sure that you get and you understand. Because I believe it's important to make sure that what we are talking about is very, very clear so there's no misunderstanding. Now, as I begin, let me ask you the question one more time. Are you ready? What does it mean to be saved? Now, I know you're probably saying to yourself, why doesn't he just get on with it? I've already anticipated you. I have been around a while. And the reason that I'm doing this is because I want to make you think. It's my job this morning as a pastor to make you think. Sometimes I think we rush too much 
into things and we rush through things too much, never really getting all that's going on or all that God wants us to get. I think sometimes we get a little bit uh, in a hurry, and so the net effect is we don't certainly don't mean to do this, but the net effect is is that we end up becoming a little bit complacent or we become a little bit superficial to some things that are really, really important. Can you say amen? And so I want to make you think. Now, I know this may even feel like, to some degree, I'm taking you from college back to kindergarten by making you answer the question or making you think about the question, what does it mean to be saved? And you might even be thinking, why do we need to talk about something so basic in a Christian church as what it means to be saved? Well, I'm glad you have thought that through and I'm glad that you've asked the question because there's several reasons why. For one thing, Salvation this morning is a fundamental and foundational principle and a point of our Christianity that is the essence of everything, everything we believe. And because of that, the devil, how many remember who he is? He is forever trying to distort our understanding of it. Because he knows this morning that if he can get us off track about salvation, then everything else gets messed up. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So he's relentless in attacking the truth we hold so dear about salvation. So again, (laughs) I ask you, what does it mean to be saved? Think about it. To define salvation in the most simple and succinct way that I can, I've come up with this. Being saved means being made right with God. But is that all there is to it? Is that it? Is that, <coughs> is that the sum total of what it means to be saved? Salvation really is the act of reconciliation between God and man, isn't it? See, there was a time in my life and in your life where we were estranged from God. We were distant from him because of a thing called sin. In fact, God said we were dead in sin. And it wasn't just me, and it wasn't just you. It was everything. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands There is none who seeks after God. They all, they have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. That was our condition before salvation. That's who we were. That's what we represented. And then in Romans chapter 3, excuse me, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Are you hearing that? That sin became the great divide between God and man, and it was impossible for man to restore that that defect, and it was working, that thing, that sin, was working both spiritual and physical death in mankind. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, 
our Lord. And it was that eternal life in Christ that was poured out in the form of his blood on the cross. Can you say amen? That paid our debt, that secured our salvation, and reconciled us back to God. And the moment we received the grace, that grace, by faith, we were saved. Are you understanding me? Now, we know that through salvation, we are forgiven. We are forgiven of our sins. We're even forgiven, and the sin nature is even removed out of our life. And through salvation, we are set free from the power and the dominion of sin. Can you say amen? And through salvation, we are given a new nature, a new identity, a new life in Jesus. And through salvation, the Bible calls us born again. Once we were dead in sin, and now we are alive in Christ. And through salvation, we are declared righteous, redeemed and restored and reconciled. And I could go on and on and on this morning about what salvation has accomplished in our lives, but the point is salvation is truly amazing. But there is a problem. You say, oh no, what's the problem? As a pastor, I see a dynamic at work in the church that has gotten me a little concerned. And when I say the church, I'm not necessarily saying this church. I am saying the church of Jesus Christ, the whole thing. I do think that in some ways it affects us. That's why I'm ministering it. But I see it in the bigger picture. And I think the best way to express what I'm seeing and feeling is to say that for some, we have become a little too casual concerning salvation. And this is all a part of the strategy against our salvation. Are you hearing me? See, when asked the question, what does it mean to be saved, there are a variety of answers that are given that in themselves are really good, but they do not define salvation. Many, when asked the question, what does it mean to be saved, they think salvation simply means believing God. And they can even quote scripture to that fact. But the problem is, is when you take that scripture out of context without the rest of what goes with it, simply believing is not enough because the Bible also says the devil in hell believes and trembles. And he's no more saved than the man in the moon. Some will say attending church is salvation. Or they think that because, hey, I go to church. I've been on outreach many a time, knocked on the door and say, hey, we'd like to invite you, or, or say, hey, you know what, we'd like to tell you about Jesus. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. How, how, oh, okay, tell me. Well, I go to church. <laughs> Some believe that being baptized is being saved. Others think that participating in communion or doing good things or giving good, to good causes is salvation. For most, salvation is about living a good life or being religious. But none of these things actually answer the question, nor do they prove that someone is saved. All of these things are good. In fact, they are the result of being saved. And in general, those who are saved practice these things on a regular basis. But here's the thing we must know. Not everyone who does them is saved. Engaging in certain religious activity 
is not the equivalent of salvation. And the thing that concerns me the most is that we have reduced salvation to simply saying a sinner's prayer. I just got my stick out and I'm starting to stir the pot. Now, don't get me wrong, that prayer is important and vitally important because it's the beginning. The beginning of something is always good. That would be saying, saying salvation is the sinner's prayer would be like equa- equating the cookies to the flour. The flour is really, really, really important, but I guarantee you one spoonful of plain flour is not all that pleasant. Many believe that because they have said a sinner's prayer or that they have somehow responded to an altar call, need nothing more. Nothing could be further from the truth. See, nowhere in the Bible, now church, I am not shooting at the sinner's prayer. Please understand that. I believe in it. But nowhere in the Bible will you find a sinner's prayer. You won't even find an altar call as we understand it. What you will find in the Bible is people responding to the call to follow Jesus. And that's where I want to take off, okay? This is where I want to go. So let's look at our text. Mark chapter 10. Now, let me say this before I get too far into this, into this text. I, I, I'll be honest with you, I, this, this is a subject that's been on my heart for a long time. I determined, and, and through prayer, that this is where I was going. And last Monday, I began the process of writing this sermon. And I, I, I had probably three-quarters of it written by Monday. But then I, I went into a time of struggle for about two days. I mean some intense struggle, to the point that I'm rewriting the sermon over and over again. To the point that on Wednesday, I'm literally heading to uh, get my hair cut. It's about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 1.30, 2 o'clock. I'm heading to where I go to get my hair cut. And as I'm driving along, I'm par- praying, and I'm saying, you know what, God, I think I'm going to set this aside because the straw, I just can't get through this struggle, this, this redefinition and this, this controversy in my mind. And so I'm like, God, I just don't know what I don't know what to do. And then all of a sudden, just in one of those just still small moments where God just speaks, he dropped this text into my heart. I hadn't even thought about it before, but he drops this in, and it changed everything for me. So in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, it says, Now as he was going out on the road, this is Jesus, one came running knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these I have observed from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, 
As I looked at this text and read it, it's amazing to me that in this one story, the whole gospel is laid out for us. See, here is this young man that came to Jesus, and he's asking for one thing. He's asking for eternal life. He says, how, how do I have eternal life? Now, before he knows it, he doesn't even understand it, but what he is looking for is salvation. And you know what? At this time in the timeline, salvation hadn't even been established yet. Jesus hadn't died. He hadn't died on the cross. His blood hadn't been shed. Uh, forgiveness of sins, far as the removal of it, hadn't happened. God, Jesus hadn't presented his blood as far as on our timeline. But on God's timeline, Jesus had already been slain before the foundation of the earth. And so there is a spiritual dynamic that's at work here. And we cannot forget that. And so here is this young man being moved by what I believe is the Holy Spirit to Jesus. And he asks the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? How do I get saved? Would be how we say it in 2021. Amen. Jesus takes him on a journey of understanding because what does Jesus want to do? Jesus wants to get him thinking. If there's anything God loves to do, he loves to get us thinking. Okay? First, he gets him to think about who Jesus really is. He says, why do you call me good? Isn't there only one that's good and he's God? So what is he doing? He's, he's going, hey, you call me good, so you recognize something in me that means something. That means I am someone. I'm not just some prophet or some rabbi or some good guy just going through earth. He goes, you've recognized someone. So I want you to think about that, young man, that I am God in the flesh. Then he challenges his commitment to the law. And he helps him see that an adherence to a set of rules, while good, does not bring eternal life. Then Jesus reveals the secret to salvation. He says, surrender what you have <clears throat> and follow me. Surrender what you have and follow me. That's eternal life. That's how you get eternal life. This was a problem for the rich young ruler. It was a problem then and it's a problem today. And the reason it's such a problem because even in our desire to be right with God and our love for him, it's hard to surrender all. And quite frankly, we don't like following unless it's on Facebook. You know, I got thinking, put my title page back up if you can. Right, right here it is, follow me. I got thinking about this, you know. This has taken on a whole new dimension in this generation. Some of you older folks here, you don't get it. Some of the younger people do. See, follow me, follow me, follow me. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all of the whatever, the social media. Follow me. What's that mean? It means you're cyber-stalking someone. Because you can follow people you know nothing about. You're not following them. You're not following them. You could, you could follow them into oblivion, but you're not really following them. What you're doing is acknowledging they're on the planet. <laughs> it always amazes me. I, I have a cousin who passed away, unfortunately, um, uh, about 10 years ago um, in Michigan. 
good guy. I, 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 him and I, when we were young, we got into a lot of trouble together. But anyway, we kind of grew apart as we got older, but he, he passed away, and I was friends with him on Facebook. You know, had, we had communicated a little bit through Facebook. Well, since his passing, his sisters have kept his Facebook page active, and they post, you know, memories of him on there. They post pictures of his children and, and, and him and, and different things, and then during different special events like his birthday or anniversary, they always acknowledge, and so it's just a way to remember him. And the other day, I get on there just to see what's going on, just kind of, it's kind of my little connection to that world back in Michigan. And, and I noticed there's like, I got like five mutual friends. And at first, I'm thinking, well, that's, this, that's probably family. Well, I go on there, and all five live in Kingman. And you all became friends like in the last year. He's dead. You're friends with a dead man. <laughs> I believe he's in heaven right now, and I believe he's, he's a good guy. He don't mind being your friend, but you ain't following him. <laughs> At least not where he is. Not yet. But it's like we've, we're following him. No, 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 you have a connection who has a connection that has a connection that has a connection. And somehow Facebook, because they really want to know who you are, yeah. pulled you in because that gives them greater information. And that's a whole other political stand and story that I'll talk about a later day. But the reality is, is we get this idea, oh, I'm following Jesus. Hey, me a friend request. I gave Jesus a friend request the other day. And we think that. Am I making too fun of that? Is that? And what happens is it got, what it does, look, we cannot dilute what it means to be saved. We don't like following unless it's on Facebook. Or at very least, we want to dictate the terms of our surrender and how we will follow you. I'm just making you think. That's that's don't don't get don't don't get after me. But here's the simple truth. Listen, this is it. Surrendering to Jesus and following him is the essence of what it means to be saved. Following Jesus literally is a response of faith to an act of grace. Are you hearing me? For me, that's what salvation is really all about, is every day I get up and I respond in faith to his abundant grace, and I follow him. Are you hearing me? I become like him. In fact, this is what I told the 830 service toward the end, that before Christians were known as Christians, they were known as followers of the way. Because the Bible says Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and they were known as followers of the way. What did that mean? It didn't mean that they were just simply walking around. What that meant is that they looked like, talked like, thought like, acted like the way. And then later on, it became a little bit of a derogatory term to say Christian because it's like, oh, here comes those Christians again, which kind of is being renewed a little bit in our generation. But what does that mean? mean? It meant that we were Christ-like, that we were like him, that we lived our lives like him. And so when we talk about following Jesus, we're not talking about tagging along or going for a spin. 
with Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. As Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he called to Peter and Andrew to leave their jobs and to follow him. And their response demonstrates what following Jesus involves. Because they immediately left their nets and followed him. This was a whole life commitment. It was not merely religious activity. And I think that's what gets lost in our walk with Jesus and our salvation. It's a whole life commitment. Everything in our lives is given to him. That's what Jesus said. He says, you know what, to the rich young ruler, you have a lot of stuff. But he says, really, the truth is, you don't have a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff has you. And what you need to do is you need to give it up. And you need to come follow me. And you will be, have eternal life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Getting saved, following Jesus is about making him the Lord of your life. See, it's easy to make him Savior. We like that. But to make him Lord means something in it. There's accountability there. And he must be the Lord over the way we talk. The way we think. The way we believe and ultimately the way we live. And I get, again, I say this is right here where the struggle begins for. We like, we like doing it our way, don't we? Simply put, we don't like being told what to do. I, let, me, let me just go on record. I don't like being told what to do. I, I don't. I, I don't. I, when I get into a place, like if I get into an amusement park, uh, It can happen in a restaurant. It can happen at Safeway, for heaven's sakes. When somebody says, don't, you know, when COVID was going on and they had all, you know, like Safeway had half the doors shut. I just thought that was like, why? I want to go in this door. It's always the door they lock that I want to go in. (laughs) Why? What difference does it make? What possible difference can the spreading of COVID have if you have two doors or one door? My God, you're making everybody go through the same door. You'd think spreading it out would be more logical. That's what you would think. Now we're all passing through. I don't like being told what to do. But there's a problem with that. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And when things start to fall apart in our lives because we've decided that we're going to live our way, then we end up rushing to Jesus for rescue. But here's the issue, you can't have it both ways. Now, listen to me, in no way am I saying that you can't come to Jesus because you can't. But church, the reason that we have the up and down and round and round merry-go-round is because we're always wanting to do it our way. You can't live any way you want. And then when the bottom drops out, think that, okay, I'm going to run to Jesus. It don't work. 
Now look at Jesus won't cast you out. That's not what I'm saying. So please, those of you on the internet or the world at Watt, I'm not, New Life Church isn't saying that Jesus don't welcome you. Jesus will welcome you every time. He is, a, he is good. He is gracious. He is faithful. But let me tell you something. You can't do it your own way. It's unhealthy. See, the grace of God is not a cheap antidote for our bad decisions. The grace of God is divine ability given to a surrendered heart that empowers victory. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, there's a popular quote that's been making its way through Christianity for several years now, and I'm sure that you've heard it before, and it's this. It's okay not to be okay. (laughs) And that sounds so good, doesn't it? I love it. I I really do. I I love it. And the reason it sounds so good is because it takes any responsibility for my actions off me. Makes me feel all warm inside. Until you start looking at the list of things that are not okay. It's not okay to be a liar. It's not okay to be a thief. It's not okay to be a drunk. It's not okay to fornicate. It's not okay to look at porn. And the list could go on and on. Now, before you crucify me again here, because I understand, I've been around a while. I understand the context of this statement, it's okay not to be okay, was churches wanting to make people feel comfortable coming when they had significant trauma and problems in their life. I get that. And look at, I want to say, first of all, New Life Church is such a church. We want you to know that it does not matter what's going on in your life. It don't matter. I don't care what's going on. You are welcome here. You are absolutely welcome. And that's precisely the point of Jesus coming is because we don't have it all together. And I am not saying that you have to have it all together to receive Christ. That's not what I'm saying. The problem with these kind of statements is they're dangerous dangerous because we forget the last part. Is it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And I know, I know. There's a lot of people who go, well, that, that's implied. <laughs> no, it ain't. No, it's not. Max Lucado once said this, Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you the way you are. See, the church, or in the church, the idea of this statement, it's okay not to be okay, was inspiration taken too far. Or I I should say not taken far enough. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Certainly we want people to know no matter what their issues are, they are welcome. But I'm afraid that for many Christians, this has become permission for anything goes. Because so many people have such misunderstandings about salvation and being a Christian that they often are allowed to continue to participate in sin in direct violation of the Word of God because it's okay not to be okay. The very nature of salvation is that we change, that we go and sin no more. 
Wasn't that the picture when the woman caught in the act of adultery? She's thrown before Jesus, probably in a very compromising situation, and, and, and she's probably not dressed well, if at all. And she's thrown there into, at his feet. And the Bible says that Jesus stoops down and he begins to write in the sand because the Pharisees, they're saying, look, the law says we should stone her. She should be dead. We should kill her. We should judge her now. Their goal was not because they, ha- they were all uh, uh, excited about the righteous stan- standard that they wanted to hold. What they wanted to do was trip up Jesus. They wanted to see if they could catch him in something. And so Jesus pauses. Don't you just love the pregnant pauses that Jesus has? Lots of people have made stuff about what did he write in the sand. Who knows? I don't know if we'll ever know. Maybe eternity. Maybe we'll ask him. What did you write in the sand? That wasn't the point. The point is, is that he pauses. He takes time to think. He lets it sink in really well. He makes everybody see. Sometimes pausing makes everybody nervous. Watch. You feel that? It's like, what's he up to now? And then Jesus does this amazing thing. He looks at the Pharisees and he says, you without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, they begin to drop their stones and walk away. And then here is the amazing thing. Jesus looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, I have none, Lord. And he says, neither do I accuse you. And usually we love it. We love that. And we stop right there, but we can't. Because then he looked at her. He says, now go and sin no more change your life. You've been given grace. Now change. See, the very nature of salvation is change. Grace is what empowers us to become who God created us to be, his sons and daughters. And when grace is applied to our lives, the most natural result is we change. And let's get one thing straight from the beginning. Salvation is by grace alone. Okay, the Bible is clear. We are saved by grace, not works. It's not about I going out and changing and now I'm saved. I'm saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And in this passage, there almost seems to be a contradiction because on one side he saying grace, not works. Then in the same breath, he says we were created for works. How can this be? Is it grace or is it works? It's both, church. It's, it's not one or the other. It's cause and effect. One begets the other. By grace through faith, we are saved. And the effect of that salvation is that we now walk in good works that we were created for. In other words, righteousness is no longer the goal I achieve. Righteousness now is, a, is no longer a destination to arrive at. But righteousness is now who I am. And it is from that place that I begin to live my life as God has commanded me. See, grace does not overlook sin, church. Grace empowers righteousness. So in the end, it's by grace that I am able to follow him, to speak like him, to think like him, and to live like him. Now, I'm ta- uh, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about what Jesus, to receive what Jesus offers to me through his death and resurrection, so that I can completely surrender my life, my will and heart to him, so that I'll become like him. And in that surrender, in that following, I am becoming like him. 
Now, you may think I'm splitting hairs over semantics, but I assure you, I am not. There is a subtle but deadly strategy that's being made, makes its way into Christian doctrine, and it's duping people into believing that everything's okay when it's not. And I think the problem is, is we tend to put our confidence in what we think the Bible says rather than what the Bible truly says. This is why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved a workman unto God that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's why in Acts 17.11, it says the Bereans, it says the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to check up on Paul and Silas to see if they were teaching the truth or not. Listen, church, defaulting to my opinion or your opinion concerning the Bible is dangerous because our opinions are biased. If our opinion is the standard of biblical interpretation, then it will always come out in our favor. See, when correction or rebuke or instruction and righteousness is necessary, it won't be there because, hey, I'm golden. It's my opinion. Listen to 2 Timothy, 2, or 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us to do. See, so often, church, I hear, well, this is, that's what I believe. Why? Well, that... I don't know, I don't know about all that, preacher, but this is what I believe. Well, I don't want to burst your bubble. I kind of (laughs) do. See, what you believe does not validate the Bible. The Bible validates what you believe. Jason and the worship team can come as we bring this to a close. Now, this morning, I admit... This is a significantly difficult subject to cover. You wouldn't think so. You wouldn't think that teaching on salvation would be so difficult, but it tends to be very difficult because one wrong move here, and you can end up in the weeds of work-based religion. So you can make it all about works. And it is, I, I could tell you, it's not about our performance. And you say, how do you know it's not about our performance? Because we don't perform well. It is absolutely all about grace. But also, if we're not, if we're not careful also, one wrong mood, move and we can end up into the universal grace insanity. Mean that everything goes and he's, God's just happy-go-lucky and you're good. Look at church. God loves you with all his heart, with everything. I, there, there, is no, there is no knowing or understanding the depth of his love for you the dynamic of his love for us. And, and just the fact, church, I heard something the other day that, that just blew my mind, and I'm not even sure that I completely get it. But just the fact that we exist, there is so much to that, just the dynamic of the fact that we exist as human beings, that we can think and we have intelligence and that we can relate to our creator and we can relate to God. And all that involves is just so amazing, amazing. It's bigger than we fully can appreciate. It's amazing, amazing. But God, ha- God, God is a good father. 
And so what happens is we, we, we tend, like I said in the very beginning of the sermon, we, we tend to travel into extremes. And so, you know, it really is an easier belief system to believe that it's all, see, if it's all about works, then I have a very clear defined boundary. Do this, do A, B, C, D, and you'll get this. We like equations. We like one plus one always equals two. We like that. It's safe. And so what happens is we develop these formulas and equations in our Christianity that says that this plus this plus this plus this equals that. And so do all these things. And then we put all our emphasis on the doing. And we become robots. We become these list doers. You know, do you, do you understand that's how you program a computer? Machine language in a computer is basically this, a list of rules. It's, and it boils down to this, yes, no, on, off, one, zero. That's it. Is it yes, go this way. If it's no, go that way. And it asks that question thousands and thousands and thousands, if not trillions of times a second. And then all of a sudden we have this computer. And it gives us a, the desired route. And so what we, we do want to do sometimes is we want to make our Christianity all about this, this thing like do all this. And then what we find out is we're just not very good at the doing. And so then what happens is we put all kinds of stipulations on it. And then God becomes this ogre in the sky that's just looking. He's, he becomes no longer is he a loving father, but he is a stern spiritual policeman looking to give you a spiritual ticket. For any infraction, then if we if we if we don't if we detest that, then we travel over here into the other extreme where all of a sudden now it's just like, hey, you know what? At the Jesus died and he died for the world and he reconciled the world and the the, the only thing that separates you from from the sinner from the saved from the sinner is the fact that the sinner just doesn't know he's he's good with God yet. And so it kind of takes the human part out of it. It takes, see, God, when he created us, he wanted us to work with him. When he created Adam and Eve, he didn't create just, he already had angels doing his bidding. They, they did everything he wanted. So what he wanted was children that would partner with him, that would actually have a mind of their own in it, that, that would use the resources that he gave them to, to imagine new things, to imagine with him and to walk with him and to commune with him and to talk with him and to share with him in those moments. But what happens is it gets really easy uh, because somewhere between that nonsense of just all those works, I can't do that because then God's really mean. So I'm going to make him really, really, really nice and nothing I do. There's no boundary. There's no, it's just everybody's good. Everybody's golden. You just don't know it yet. And that's not true either because that really greatly reduces the love of God. That really de-emphasizes salvation. And so what God wants us to do is come back to this thing. He says, hey, hey, how about this? Why don't you follow me? Give up your life. Give up this ratty life that you have. I know that it seems really nice, but you give that up. And then I'll tell you what, I'll give you my life in return. It's not that you're going to have no life. You're just going to have my life. And then you can follow me. 
You can walk with me. You can talk with me. And we can share together. We can love together. We can sup together. We can share everything together. And I'll give you my power. I'll give you my kingdom. The whole thing. All of it. For you. But church, we got to make a decision, don't we? And that's to follow him. And I know, I know, that I think the wrestling match that I had with this is, is that it is so easy to turn this into kind of a stick where you beat people, forcing them into some sort of compliance. Church, that's not my goal. Nor is my goal to say that your salvation is not intact. My goal is to get you to think and say, wait a second. I say I'm saved. That's got to mean something. I say I have in Christ, I, I have faith in Christ. Well, what has that done? What have I allowed that to do? If I'm not changing, then, then I need to probably take a look at it and say something, something's amiss. What's up? What's up? Maybe I'm like the rich young ruler. I really desire eternal life, but your conditions of sell to the poor and follow me just too much, and maybe I walk away sorrowful. Well, human nature will come up with all kinds of accommodating theologies to sort that out. And church, none of them are God. It was simply this, give up what you have and follow me. Why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment? I wonder if anybody's in this room or maybe you're joining us online and you're not right with God. You don't know Jesus as your savior and you'd say, you know what, I, I would like to surrender right now to Jesus. I'd like to do that. I would like to follow him. If that's you, would you lift your hand up all across this place? Would you like to begin that? Amen, I see those hands. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Others today who want to follow Jesus, praise God. You can put them down. If you're online, would you pray this prayer with us as well? Say this. In fact, let's all pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. And so, Lord, I do what you told the rich young ruler. I give you my life and I surrender it to you. And I say, I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna do what you do. I'm gonna think like you think. I'm gonna speak like you speak. I'm gonna live like you lived. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that for the first time online, just let us know, write it down in a comment we can get a hold of you. If you prayed that for the first time, let one, one of the, the, the folks that are walking around says volunteer on their shirt. They have tags. Just pick one of those people. Let them know. Just say, hey man, I just gave my life to Jesus. And you know, just let God touch you. What we're going to do now is we're going to stand to our feet. We're going to get out of here here in about five minutes. We'll be out in about five minutes. I believe today, this is why I'm doing this. I believe that it's good that we close in worship that we worship him. So I know that there some go, well, I'm done, I'm, I'm out, I'm through, church is over. But you know what, don't leave yet. Don't, don't, don't leave just yet. Take a moment and, and just let God touch you. Just one more minute. God bless you. Let's sing it out.
salvation is not going to be something that I take for granted. My salvation is not something that I'm just, it's just an identifying trait about my life, but it becomes my life. That my salvation and the fact that I am a follower of Jesus is the only identifying factor. Because without that, I, I, me as a father, me as a husband, me as a a pastor, I cannot do my job fully unless I am fully submitted to following you. So we thank you, Lord, for, for this word that you have dropped on our hearts. You've done more than drop it. You've just, you've, you've drop kicked it into our life, Lord. And we thank you for that. We thank you for graciously leading us through this. God, we love you, and we thank you for what you're doing in and through this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are free to go. We thank you for coming this morning. Why don't you greet someone or, or farewell someone? I don't know. Shake someone's hand. Give them a hug on your way out. We love you. Love someone near you. Remember, Wednesday, we got Pastor Philemon Wachara, 7 o'clock. Love Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.